It's all good. Second Kings chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. From the New Living Translation, it says, One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. Oh, thanks, guys. You can grab your seat. I always forget now to let you go. One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. A wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. After that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. She said to her husband, I am sure that this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. I've probably heard a number of sermons, messages, teaching sessions out of this passage over the years. I've heard teaching on hospitality, you know, where it's tied into Paul's letter to Timothy about the qualifications for an overseer, an elder, a leader in the church. And one of the qualifications is that we are to be given to hospitality. And I've heard this passage used to reinforce that, that as Christ followers, we should be hospitable, hospitable to people we meet on the street, hospitable in taking people into our homes and caring for people in their, in their need. And I think it's a genuine passage to reinforce that kind of a characteristic that should be in the life of a Christ follower. I've heard the passage used to teach on generosity. Let's build him a small room and let's furnish it uh, so that whenever he comes by, he'll have a place to stay. We can accommodate him. Whenever he went through up until they built the small room, he would stay there for a meal. Uh, they weren't just hospitable. They were, they were generous people. I've heard the passage also used to teach on the importance of seeking first the kingdom of God. And the connection being, of course, Elisha was a man of God, a representative of God, a prophet of the Lord that was held in high esteem in the eyes of the people of God, at least in that day. And uh, seeking first the kingdom was to accommodate kingdom purpose. He's coming into town the kingdom purpose, and we need to accommodate kingdom purpose. So I've heard it for that. But apart from that, and some of these things I want to share with you this morning in the time that I have, I, I've shared a little bit of these things with our heartbeat a couple of years ago, and I just felt the Lord lead me back to these thoughts this morning. And it's not the whole thing that I shared with heartbeat, but just the concept at least. But this woman recognized a need in the life of a representative of God, in modern terms, in the life of a Christ follower, in the life of an ambassador for Jesus. We are, we are to be salt and light in the earth, and we are appointed and anointed as little Christ. That's what the term Christian actually means. We are to be his representatives. We are to be his hands and feet. And that's what an ambassador is. An ambassador doesn't represent his own thoughts. He represents the thoughts and values and concepts and principles of the country that has sent him to whatever country are hosting him. And this woman recognized that in the life of a genuine Christ follower, there were some essentials that were necessary. Firstly, a place in which to retreat. It's, it's critical that we all have a place to retreat. If we just do life at 100 miles an hour, never stopping week in and week out, never taking time to smell the roses, never stopping and listening intently for the voice of our shepherd in our life, if we don't 
take that place of retreat where we get away from it all. Last night, I, I, I did a little retreat just for a few hours. I, I went up to the beach and I walked around the back of Merriweather Bars and along to Glenrock, just walking with my feet in the water, just talking to the Lord. And, and it's good for the soul to be able to escape the pressures of what, what you do and the challenges and the, and the storms that sometimes you can become overwhelmed with. You know, when you... When you kind of get in the middle of it, you can lose sight of the fact it's you're just running on adrenaline. And so it's important to have that place of retreat. But more importantly in this passage, she said, let's build him a little room on the roof of the house. And she said, let's furnish it. Let's furnish it with a lamp. Let's furnish it with a table and a chair. And let's furnish it with a bed. And you know, I want to just share with you today that that. Out of those three things, you'll find essentials for us to be fruitful and successful in whatever it is we are anointed to do, whatever it is we are called to do. And the first thing that we all need in our life is that lamp. The man of God, the woman of God, the Christ follower needs a lamp and the lamp speaks to us of godly revelation. It, it's, it's our need for a place where Revelation from heaven can begin to flow and God can speak into our situations. I, I touched a little bit again on this last Sunday morning where, where one of the things the fear of the Lord will bring into our life, and off the top of my head I can't now remember the exact verse, but one of them was, was insight, wisdom and direction. So when we have God in his right position and we're postured in our place of submission and surrender to him, we will never lack solutions in life. But part of the posture is to be able to escape to that room, whatever that room looks like for us, where we can sit and let the lamp of his word shine onto the pathway of our life so that we can get direct revelation from heaven. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. You know, I think one of the sad lacks in the church today is a lack of hearing. We're not hearing what he's saying. We're so cross wired with so many other frequencies that are screaming for our attention that the voice of God is just quietened out. God is not loud. He comes with that gentle whisper. We all need that lamp. In Hebrews chapter 1, the opening verses says, Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. You want to know what God is like? Read the Gospels. That verse goes on in, in Hebrews and it says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. If you want to know what God is like, just read the life of Jesus. Jesus, the way he treated people is the way God treats people. He was an exact representation of God. He was an ambassador. What God said, he did. He did nothing of himself. He heard and he obeyed. So everything Jesus did was the Father doing it through him. So if you really want to know what God is like, just read the Gospels, and God has spoken to us through Jesus. His life is the voice that, that is from heaven today that illuminates our path. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who speaks. That tells me God still speaks today. He still has a desire to connect. He still has a desire to direct. He still has a desire to guide our steps through every storm, through every challenge, through every battle, through every, every problem that we face. God still speaks today. And I, I, I would venture to say that there would be many here would sit right now and say, well, gee, I, I've never heard his voice. I don't know what his voice sounds like. Do you take the time 
to quieten your soul, to quieten your spirit so that he can begin to speak. It doesn't take long. When I'm walking on the beach last night for the voice of God to come, because I've, I've, dis- I've pushed out the distractions. I'm looking at the seagulls. I begin to think about creation. I watched one bird. I don't know what sort of bird it was. It had a funny hairdo. It looked like a seagull, but it wasn't a seagull. And then I saw there was a, just a couple that were really grey and discoloured. That told me they were young'uns. Because I thought they haven't fully developed their colours. And, and it's like, here's this bird with this funny hairdo. I'm watching it with its youngs, and, and, and then it would go out over the water, and then all of a sudden it would just dive bomb into the water, under the water. It would come back up out of the water. It would fly around. There's seagulls everywhere. Like every, and I couldn't pick them apart, but this, this bird who'd flown a couple of hundred metres down, I'm watching it, came back, went straight back to its young'uns, and had picked up a fish out of the water and had fed its young'uns. And I began to think, you know, that's how God cares for us. He wants to feed us. He wants to speak to us. You know, his word is, is food to our soul. It's nourishment to our bodies. And, and we need to position ourselves where revelation can flow. You know, God still speaks today and he has a yearning to connect with us. My sheep hear my voice. They hear it and they follow me. And how many even know as the shepherd, he leads us into green pasture. He leads us into better places. He leads us in the middle of a drought in the desert. He makes a way where there is no way. That's the ability of our God. But we've got to be hearing his voice in order to follow. Otherwise, we're just doing life out of logic and reason. You know, our journey into our God-ordained future starts with a thing called information. And I've touched a little bit on this. I think I may have even mentioned it last week. I, I can't remember now. But it starts with information. I remember when I first started coming to church back in October 1979. It was in the old building around the corner in Beaumont Street. John Smack was, was one of the pastors on staff. He was the education minister. And uh, there's some people here that were in the church back then, still in the church today. And, uh, and I remember I sat for months, Sunday night after Sunday night, listening to information coming from the pulpit because I was hearing about God. I was hearing about who God is. I was hearing about creation and I was hearing about the fall of man. I was hearing about the cross and what Jesus did on the cross. And it was information. And the information came and I was processing it in my mind. It took me three or four months. You see, I, I'm a bit slow on the uptake sometimes. I, I just don't buy the first thing I hear. But after processing the information and sitting and posturing myself in a place where the Holy Spirit could do something with that information, something ignited in my heart and the information turned into revelation. And it's only, you see, information will not change our life. Information will not, will not do a thing to our marriage. It will not do a thing to our, our mindsets, our, our values. It won't, it won't change anything. Until the Holy Spirit takes it and drops it from your head to your heart, down into this thing called our Noah, and when your Noah knows what you know, something ignites. Faith actually ignites. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Hearing is as in revelation. It's not just information, it's revelation. You know, information alone will not set our sail to the wind. First, uh, Second Kings chapter 6 uh, I, I love this passage. It says, When the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he, Elisha, answered him and said, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. The servant, all he saw was the army that was against them. 
Elisha saw the armies of heaven behind the armies that were against them. What was the difference? The servant had information. He didn't have revelation. Elisha had revelation. Elisha had a light from heaven that showed him far more than the natural eye could see. And he says, there are more for us than there are against us. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he might see. You see, that tells me seeing with the natural is not enough. Just having information is not enough. I need the Holy Spirit to breathe on it. I will read a passage in my Bible and I, I, what does that mean? What, wh how does that affect me? What is that saying to me? It's information, it's historical information. But yet when I get out and I walk on the beach or I, I find my chair and there's no one home and I sit quietly in a gentle breeze coming through the door and I push out the distractions, it gives the Holy Spirit time and ability and opportunity to take the information, breathe on it, turn it into the living word. And that's the, the word that doesn't return void from our life. At that point, faith ignites in my heart. And I think I can do that. I can embrace that. I can have that. That's a promise from God. I need to start enforcing that and applying that to my life. So this guy had his eyes opened and then the young man saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elisha. Elisha could see because he lived from a place of revelation, not information. You know, the, the 12 spies... In Numbers 13 and 14, 10 had information. Information that God said the land was theirs. Information. They, they knew the promise of God. They knew what, what the prophets had declared. They knew what Moses had said. They knew what had come down from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down through Joseph and his sons and, and, and right through the generations, 400 years of, of storytelling. They, they knew they had information about God said it was theirs, but they said, we can't do it. Because you won't do anything with information. It's only when it becomes revelation that faith can enforce and empower and overcome. They, they said, yeah, we, we know God has said the land is ours, but the people of the land are bigger than us. Well, what about how big our God is? But you see, they only had information. They didn't have revelation. Two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they had more than information. They had a revelation that the information was authentic and that it was coming from heaven and that what God said was theirs was in fact theirs. And it didn't matter how big the enemy was. It didn't matter what uh, weapon the enemy leveled at them. That revelation said it doesn't matter because God's always going to be bigger. You know, when, when the, your problem is staring you in the face, just remind your problem how big your God is. But you can only do that when you don't. You know, I, I have met people over the years who can quote Scripture in an amazing way, but their life's a mess. What does that tell me? All they've got is information. They haven't got a revelation. You know, the Bible will not save you. I, I had people leave the church over this statement many years ago. But I still believe it with all my heart. If you just have the Bible, you will dry up. The Bible says that just the written word is the letter of the law and the letter kills. If you just have the Holy Spirit, you'll turn into a fruit loop. But if you have the Bible and the Holy Spirit, allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe on the foundation of his word and bring it alive, you will grow up. Just the Bible, you'll dry up. Just the Holy Spirit, you'll blow up. Have both, you'll grow up. And you see, we need, we need that revelation that comes from information. Um, you know, it's, revelation is when the light goes on. It's when the penny drops. It's, it's when 
the Holy Spirit breathes on it and you go, oh, I get it. I see that. that you know, it, it's, it's when your receptors pick it up and information that leads to revelation will in fact inevitably lead to transformation. I mentioned earlier around the baby dedication, baby's dedication, that um, you know, I was reading about, about Saul who became Paul on the road to Damascus. He had information. He knew who Jesus was. He knew who the church was. He knew what they were preaching and teaching and he hated them. He didn't want anything to do with it. He had the information, but the information wasn't enough until Jesus came, breathed on the information, gave him a revelation which changed his life and Paul was transformed from, from Saul to Paul and many of the people, the rumors just spread like wildfire. He who persecuted us is now one of us. It was a transforming encounter with God. That's what I desperately want in my life. I don't want to be a religious churchgoer. I couldn't find anything more boring than just sitting in church week in and week out, listening to a sermon that doesn't impact my life, that doesn't change my marriage, that doesn't lift my, my spirits and give me a greater sense of connection with God that brings life and fruit and growth and maturity and success and overcoming and dealing with the baggage that life tries to put on my back. If church doesn't do that for me, I don't want it. You say, oh, well, that's disrespectful of the church. No, that's not the church that I read about in the book of Acts. The church I read about in the book of Acts is life-changing. So when I come to church, I come saying, God, speak today. God, declare something today. Whether it's in the worship, whether it's in the preaching, whatever, God, declare something that will change my life. I want a revelation that turns into a transformation. And when I get a transformation, you know, the activation is easy. I, I find when I get a revelation that transforms the way I see life, it's easier to serve Jesus. It's so much easier. Serving Jesus becomes a delight because I love him. I love what he has done for me. I love what he means for me. I'm not serving him out of duty. I'm serving him out of a sense of gratitude for what he has done in and through my life. You know, I, I've shared this with you before, but for many, many years as a pastor, I preached messages on the love of God, but never had a revelation on the love of God. I knew the scriptures. I knew the information in the Bible. I could put a sermon together and I could, and people got saved. But meanwhile, I'm preaching it and teaching it, but never had a revelation on it. I always felt when I messed up, God was angry with me. I always felt when I kicked the cat or I had a bad attitude or I yelled at my wife or, or I, I was engaging in an attitude towards another driver on the road or whatever it might be, I always felt like I've just let God down. I failed God. He's displeased with me. Now I'm going to have to really work hard to get back to that place where I was, where I'll feel like his approval is there. I honestly believe that's how God functioned. But yet my information was the opposite to what I believed. I'm teaching the grace of God. I'm teaching that, you know, it doesn't matter where you've been. God will always receive you. It's only one step back to God and he'll clean. But for me, I think, well, you know, you can come back to God, but I have to go home and, and repent for a couple of hours, a couple of weeks and jump through all these hoops and do the right thing for so long before God would get me back. And then one day I had a revelation. The information, the light went on, the penny dropped. And that revelation transformed my life because from that day to this, and that's probably... 25 years ago that happened. From that day to this, let me tell you, and I say this honestly, God is my witness. 
I have not once felt the anger of God towards me. In 25 years, I've felt his correction. I've felt his displeasure. I've felt his sense of disappointment in my behavior, my conduct, but I've never felt the anger of God towards me. I have felt him lovingly take me and say, I don't like you doing that. I don't want you. Yes, okay. And you kind of feel, but not his anger. That's the difference between information and revelation. And when I had that revelation, I just wanted to serve him. I just wanted to love on him. I, 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 it became so much easier to serve God. Acts chapter 9 and verse 6 said, Paul, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is the Christ hater. This is the church hater. This is the persecutor who had letters from authorities to arrest anyone that even smelt like a Christian. And to bring them back to be tried and jailed or whatever it was that were going. He hated the church, but in a moment, because that's all it takes, in a moment when heaven opens above you, he went from the Christ hater, the persecutor, what do you want me to do, Lord? And he said, You just go where I tell you to go, and I'll send somebody to tell you what to do, and then you do exactly what they tell you to do. That's transforming. That's the difference. And it activates. Information to revelation to transformation, activation is the follower. You know, we, we are starting intentionally as a leadership to change some cultural things in our church. And I, I think it was, it was last week I said so many things we do sound noble and they sound honorable, but they're not necessarily biblical. And one of the things we're going to stop doing, let me finish this before you... you Get up and walk out. You only get half the story. We're going to stop saying thank you for what you do. Now, we appreciate what everybody does. But constantly going around, thank you for serving in the kitchen. Thank you for greeting people on the door. Thank you for coming and setting up early. Thank you for doing it. creates a culture that they're doing it for me. It creates a culture that they're doing it simply for the church and the vision. And what happens is... People who perhaps aren't as further along in their understanding of why we do what we do, all of a sudden you miss thanking someone, they're offended, they walk out, the, oh, I did all that and the church didn't even thank me. Hang on, we're going to start a culture now intentionally, and we've done it at a leadership level, is thank you for serving Jesus. Thank you for doing what you do for the glory of God. Because at the end of the day, whether I see it or whoever doesn't see it, and you don't get thanked, Ultimately, you know, God sees it and it's who we do it for. But when you have a revelation of his love and his goodness and what he's done on the cross, it's easy to be changed to a place where you, I just want to be activated. I don't care who sees what I do. I'm just, I'll be behind the scenes. I'll just hide in the kitchen. I'll, I'll do this. I'll do that. And I, I don't care who thanks me, who doesn't thank me because I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for Jesus. Now, I, I know that we give honor where honor is due and we will continue to do that. It's biblical. You know, we are to honor on the horizontal level, but we've got to be careful that we're constantly thanking people that it creates this culture that if it's me thanking all the time, thank you for doing this. You know, I really need you to do this. And Jesus needs you to do this. That's, that's really what we're trying to, um, to do. You know, when you get transformed through revelation and you activate into your gifting, multiplication is the result. You know, Information that leads to revelation, leads to transformation, will trigger activation, will produce multiplication. 
When you, you discover your God shape and you discover it out of hearing the voice of God and you do your service as a love slave to kingdom purpose, to Jesus, that, that you, just, you just want to please him because of who he is and what he's done for you. And, you know, I, I said last week, if you weren't here, forgive me for repeating myself, but grace is the end of earning. It's not the end of effort. You know, we now make every effort to please God. We make every effort to align our life. We make every effort to build on the faith that he has deposited within us and to grow in maturity and to grow into Christ-likeness. Paul said, I'm like a mother in labor trying to see Christ fully formed in your life. That's our goal is that people see us, they see Jesus. We've got a long way to go, but let's keep making every effort to posture ourselves to grow and expand. Multiplication. Is, uh, is the end result of it all. We need a place in our life where godly revelation can flow. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp. She furnished it with a lamp, table and chairs and a bed. Your word is a lamp to my feet. Psalm 119 verse 130, The entrance of your word gives light. It's a lamp. It gives understanding. Every man and woman of God in this place today, you, you need that quiet place where you can receive revelation. Because that's the fruit of revelation. It's, rest, it's transformation, it's activation, it's multiplication, it's fruitfulness in our life. Where is your place? Is it a walk along the beach like I just talked about? Is it a, is it a chair that you have in your home? Is it a quiet room that you go to? You know, wh- where is that place where the word, the lamp can shine down on your pathway? When God speaks, life flows. When I was first saved, I, I don't even saved about three or four months And I had my first experience of the anger of God, which wasn't the anger of God. It was just the enemy messing with my head. But I I had, I was just powering on. I was growing. I I was in church consistently. I I was hungry for everything I could get. I I believed what the teaching was was giving me. I I embraced the gospel. And then I just had a bad day and I, I turned away for just a short period of time, went back to my old way of thinking and my old behavior. And it only lasted about 24 hours or so. And, and I felt so bad and so guilty. And then I felt like, God, you're now angry with me. Am I going to get back on the path? Am I ever going to? And I was so desperate and so upset that I had offended God and made God so angry, which I hadn't, but believed this. I sat down with my Bible. I didn't understand my Bible. I'd only been saved three months, wasn't raised in the church. And I opened my Bible. I looked straight down and there's uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to perfection. And the Holy Spirit took the information, turned it into revelation. And all of a sudden I sat up in bed and it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, get up, keep going. I'm going to work this in your life and you will make it. It gave me the motivation to keep powering forward. That's what revelation does. And, you know, we need to position ourselves to get that. The table and chair, and I'm going to land this really quickly, but, you know, she furnished it with a lamp. We need revelation. We need the word of God. The table and the chair, it speaks of strategy. We need to be people who strategize on how to implicate or or apply, applicate the um, revelation that we receive. You know, a vision without a strategy is a fantasy. You'll go nowhere. You can have a revelation, but if you don't have a strategy for the outworking of that revelation, you will go nowhere. Proverbs 15.22, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. You know, when I first felt the call of God upon my life, I went straight to my oversight. 
and submitted it to them. And I wasn't happy with some of the advice they gave me because I was young, I was, I was ambitious, I was, I was excited, I wanted to do it now and God had called me to save the world and I was going to do it in a week. And you know, you know what it's like when you're first saved and you just have that simple faith. Um, but I sat down and I submitted to wise counsel and the wise counsel said, you weren't raised in the church, you've only been in church life three months and now you're going to go and save the world, you know, you're going to crash and burn. And I would have crashed and burned. You know, get yourself involved in the life of the church. Get yourself involved in ministry opportunities down here. And as you're faithful in the small, God will give you greater. That's a biblical principle. Many are called, but few are chosen. I had the calling, but I had to prove myself before I could be chosen. You see, and that's biblical. I'm going to send you Timothy, Paul said. He has proven himself in the ministry. A lot of people say, I don't have to prove myself to anybody. No, no you do. It's biblical. We all have to prove ourselves. We all have to prove our fruitfulness, our maturity. Paul said, don't put a novice in a position of leadership. So, okay, how do we know whether he's a novice or not? They've got to prove themselves that they are not novices. It's, it's biblical. It's, it's correct. It's godly. And so I got involved in the life of the church. I learned about church life. I learned about serving with different personalities. And how many of you know that I'm the only one that's right and everybody else is weird? You soon learn that quick. What's your problem? You know, what's your? Oh, you're supposed to be a Christian, and you're talking to me like that. It's like you, you can arc up on the inside, but it exposes stuff that's in me. So, like, like you know, we need to learn to turn the other cheek. Where does it say that in the Bible? I was a young Christian. I had no idea. You know, they were rude to me. Well, get over it. You know, they're on their journey, just like you're on your journey. Well, I'm not going to get over it. Well, you're not going to survive in the ministry because people are always going to be rude. And if you finally get them to stop being rude, somebody is going to join the church who is rude. And you're still going to have a problem. So we're going to learn to cope with this stuff and grow in God and develop in our, in our journey. You know, it set me up for the revelation to be fulfilled. I, I'm putting better strategies in place right now for my mental health. You know, I, I, don't, I don't think I'm... I'm going off the deep end or anything like that. So don't panic. I, I did touch on this, I think, last Sunday night at Heartbeat. And I said to Margot, did I say too much? She said, well, I don't know if you clarified it. They might think you're, you're a nutter. You know? um, you know, let me tell you something. The pressures of life and ministry, and we all have our own pressures, you know, can bring you to a place where you feel like you're going to snap. So I, I'm trying to now put better healthy habits in my life because I'm just as susceptible as the next person to go home from the pressure and numb out in front of the television and sit there for hours till I go to bed just so I don't have to think about anything. Don't have to pro That's not healthy. And so I'm putting strategies in place now where I don't just get gravitating towards the television set because it's easy and it's an escape and I took my phone on silent. I think I don't want to talk to anybody. Margot, go away. It's like, because even at times, I don't want Margot around. I just, I want to, but now I'm putting strategies in place where I'm filling those times with more healthier things that actually make me more naturally tired. So when I go to bed, I don't toss and turn. I fall asleep in front of the TV, but the moment I get into bed, I'm wide awake. And some of you know what I'm talking about, you know, because of unhealthy habits in my, so it's strategy. I've got revelation for where God wants me to go. But if I don't strategize to, to keep my soul healthy, we're not going to get where God wants us to go. You know, he, he leads me beside still waters and he restores my soul. That, that word leads me implies that I must follow. You know, if someone leads you, you don't just watch them disappear into the sunset. It's like they come back. Well, come on. 
I'm leading you. And when Jesus leads us, we need to follow. And if we don't follow, we won't find the still waters. We won't find that place of rest for our soul. Um, you know, there's a number of things I had down there. But, um, you know, we, we need the bed. We do need the bed. I, for a number of years now, I have not been a good sleeper. You know, I, I, I will fall asleep when I get home from the office in the lounge. I, I get into bed, though. It's, it's, it's normal for me to toss and turn for hours. And then the next morning, you think you feel like a zombie. You haven't got the energy. Um, we've got to get our rhythms back. We've got to get out, which is all part of the strategy. We've got to get ourselves back to a place where, where we get a good night's sleep so that we're thinking properly, where we're doing well. And the Bible says he gives his beloved sleep. And if I'm not getting sleep, there's a reason I'm doing something wrong, which is all part of the, the strategies. But, you know, we, we are all human. We are not, not machines. We all need time out doing things that refresh us, that restore us, that revive us. So, you know, I mentioned my motorbike earlier. I, I haven't been on it much lately. I just, it's just a time thing. But I love being out on the country roads on my motor. I hate riding around the city because you've got to concentrate too much. You're just focused on traffic. So I rarely ride in the city. Um, but I'll get on a country road where I just see the cows. I have a helmet on and, and I don't talk to anybody. I'm zoning out. And it's, it's a healthier way to zone out than sitting in front of a TV screen. My mother would disagree. She'd rather me in the safety of the chair in the lounge room than on the motorbike. But you know, you know what I'm saying? You've got to, you've got to find something that, that does it for you. Um, we've got to be balanced. Let me close with this statement. Too much in strategy... Not enough in revelation will have you doing life out of reason and logic, not divine direction. 